Welcome to Behind the Band, a podcast where we're all about helping you grow your music career. We do that by talking with awesome artists and people from the industry. Hey, my name is David Ryan Olson. If we haven't met, I run Evergreen Records. We are a production company that is dedicated to helping artists grow, even outside the studio. So we do things like this podcast. And I'm excited for today's episode because we have Caleb Chapman of Colony House on the show today. They're a great band, but one of the unique things about them is they actually got their start because, well, they kind of joined the family business early on. I'll let him share his story, but it's a lot of fun hearing how these kids were involved in the music industry from such a young age before really launching their own career on their own as well. So real quick before we do, if you're working on new music, you want to know how to promote it better, we'd love for you to sign up for a free workshop called Rock the Release. It's just a half hour of teaching you how to plan and promote your music for maximum results, getting on blogs, playlists, all that fun stuff. Just go to evergreenrecords.com to sign up. But now, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into our conversation with Caleb from Colony House. Well, Caleb, Colony House, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. What have you been up to in this kind of weird, elongated pandemic season? <laughs> Ooh, well, a lot of things, actually. It's been a change of pace. Usually we'd be on, on the road it was lined up to be a very busy year for us, probably one of the busier as far as touring goes last year. But in its stead, the band made a movie. So we made a film, which was kind of, it's one of my things I do on the side is mess around with videos. I just started going through all of our footage from the tour we had done and from the last year of like making the album and all this just to like hold people over at that time, none of us knew what this was going to be like, what, you know, oh, it'll probably be out for two or three months and then we'll, you know, be back. (laughs) Those were the days. (laughs) Little did we know. But so I just started trying to piece together things that would like hold people over. Hey, you know, we had to cancel half our tour. Here's some footage from the tour. Also, here's some cool. Anyways, as I was doing that, as editing things together, I was like, wait a sec. I think we could tell a cool story here. So I ended up using like all this old archive footage and then creating this narrative that tells the story of like the band and how we were responding to this shutdown, but really how our most recent album kind of spoke to this time of our lives. And we had made it, you know, a year or two before all of this. So just the power of music, whether it's on stage or off, and hopefully like a little inspirational piece of like no matter what industry you're in, you're going to be dealt these hands from time to time. And how do you respond? So anyways, that was a huge project. We ended up showing it, premiering it in our hometown with this big drive-in concert. And there was like 2000 people that came out. We played a show and we showed the movie that took up like the first half of the pandemic. (laughs) Now we're back into writing and just trying to stay creative. Awesome. One of the things I try to do on this show is to not dwell too much on the big C word, which makes it sound scarier than it is. But why don't you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about your story? How'd you get into music? Oh, well, my dad is in the business. (laughs) He has been since for a long time, long before I was born. And so, you know, we watched him all growing up play music on stage and in the studio, writing, recording, performing. And it never really felt like an option for me and my brother, who's also in the band with me. Like, just for us, it was always the obvious. Like, we're going into the family business, no doubt. We're playing music like Dad does. (laughs) And so in high school, my dad, he came to us and was like, hey, I have a tour coming up in a year. And if y'all can learn my songs, 
generally speaking, you can be my band. <laughs> it was like our first test. <laughs> well, so, but you were playing music at the time, like just kind of at home or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At home we were playing, uh, me and my brother, just like many of us with our siblings in the early days, it's like the basement is where you go and make all your noise. My brother plays drums, I play guitar, and we just would emulate whoever we thought was cool at the time. We'd try to dress like them. Like who? It was the... Christian home, Christian music, audio adrenaline was a big one for us. Obviously, my dad, old SCC, so we were emulating whatever he was doing at the time. How many times have you played A Great Adventure on tour? Uh, <laughs> however many times I've played a show with my dad. <laughs> so hundreds at this point. But yeah, I mean, we were emulating someone different every single day. So my earliest memories, we were playing music. So in high school, we joined dad's band and started touring. Me and my brother at like 15 and 16, we started touring and we've been doing it ever since. Were you like the actual main members of his band or were you kind of just support or what was that like? Yeah, were we like the cute, oh, he can say his kids are on stage? Yeah. <laughs> no, we were his band. The first tour we did, me and Will had a band in high school. It was us two and then two other brothers. And my dad was like, y'all's band will be my band if you can pull it off. And so we did. We practiced all the time. And my dad came in and we played through, you know, the, the set and we started touring with him. It was like the first show was like, you know, an arena show, 10,000 people or something. And we were like, whoa, OK. <laughs> and I remember it was one of those. Do you know what Winter Jam is? Oh, yeah. Like every Christian artist ever is playing them. And it's like $10 ticket and you just come and everyone, you know. The sets are like five minutes long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we probably were only playing like six to 10 songs. If my dad has an hour long set, we play about five songs anyways, because he talks, he likes telling stories. So anyways, yes, that was the first tour. So when we started sound checking, I remember all the other bands who were, you know, we're still friends with a lot of those guys. They'll tell us now they're like, Oh, we were all like, what are these kids doing out here? They're not, you know, coming out to like check us out. And, the, you know, it was a good report. The critique was all like, wow, they're actually, they're kind of doing the thing. So it was a blast. Me and my brother always joke. It was like, man, we really, we really started at the top. Been working our way down ever since. It's been like. <laughs> <laughs> well, like that sounds just like a little bit of like a trial by fire. If you're like starting at the top playing arena what did that feel like most of us have to grind it out in the dive bars for a while well yeah we've joined the rest of you trust me <laughs> we've been spoiled our whole lives for sure but it was one of those deals like you can't just float by you have to pull your weight as far as his band so in that regard yeah there was so much rehearsing and that really established me and my brother's work ethic inside of like, if you want to do this, this is what it takes. And obviously the touring is a little more cush at that level. Those shows were amazing. It was so fun. But as an artist, you know, as we grew up and we wanted to start playing more of our own music, playing to a lot of people is cool. But the thing that is really cool is communicating what you want to communicate. So whether that's to, like you say, 10 people in a dive bar, which we've done Probably more of those shows now than we have. There's not a lot of arenas that we've done. <laughs> but yes, that's where we kind of, that's what makes us tick, you know. And we've been in a van and trailer for 10 years now. So we didn't ever want it. Like, we didn't want to skip steps, you know. It's like, we're going to do this the way everyone else does it. 
and grind it out the way everyone else does. Knowing that having someone in the business like my dad, it's only going to help. And his his integrity and the way he's operated his whole career, that is what opens doors. Not just being famous, not just being successful. It's the favor that you curry with being a good person and someone that's done good work and held their standard at that level. That crosses genres. That's what's important. That's been a huge lesson for me is like, as I'm a dad now, I'm like, regardless of my kid going into the industry or not one day, it's like, you know, just showing them leading by example. Joining the family business too. Yeah, (laughs) we'll see. But I imagine kind of getting thrown into a pretty established corner of the music industry at such a young age also was a fantastic education for when you kind of started branching out on your own and making your own thing happen a little bit. What were some of the things that you learned early on from being a part of your dad's band? Honestly, probably the thing I learned most was how to operate relationally while on tour. That's not an industry thing. That's just a personal thing. But like when you're touring, that takes toll on all kinds of relationships. It's just a different game. You're getting ripped out of like a normal flow. You think that time stops when you leave town, but you get back two months later and everyone's two months older, two months more down the road and their jobs and their relationships. And you go, oh, man, I've got a lot of catching up to do. Time doesn't stand still when you leave, you know. So that's a huge, you know, gift to learn that young, to kind of make your mistakes young in that as opposed to later, you know. Industry, you know, you meet a ton of people. You're just collecting data, you know. We're all sponges and you're seeing like, well, they do that. They do, you know, things as simple as sound checking, how to sound check economically and logistically well and like quickly and efficiently those little tricks on up to how to operate a merch table well we've done every job on some of the first tours me and my brother were on as our own artists we're like slinging the headliners merch after we play like that's like how it rolls before i was in my dad's band i was his guitar tech And I was responsible as like a 15 year old for his whole band, you know, calling Cartage, getting all their gear to the bus. (laughs) I'm like, dad, this is too much pressure. This is, you know, like (laughs) I'm dealing with, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of gear as a 15 year old kid. You know, it's like, this is stupid. (laughs) You're right. Trial by fire. You just and you get burnt a lot in the early days, you know. How so? Well, I'd say a lot of it is personal mistakes. Like, you know, oh man, we, we have no money. We can't, we can't pay a guy to come out and help us with sound. It's like, honestly, yeah, we can, you know. So you pay someone $25 instead of 50. And it's like, we could have paid him $50. That's a stupid kind of example, like a small example of probably things that happen as it gets on up the scale. It's like learning how to take care of people in a business that is so relentless it can be physically taxing can be mentally taxing and we have been on the receiving end of like man i want to offer my services to this person but i feel like i'm kind of like i don't want to be dramatic but like being taken advantage of because you're young in the industry of like well i'll do whatever just to you know just to do it and you're you end up kind of compromising like well you're worth more than that you know learning your worth Learning that saying no is a very powerful tool as a creative. If it doesn't fit your vision for your life and for your goals, then 
say no, while at the same time being willing to go the extra mile and grind it out. So, you know, being burned can mean a ton of things. Well, can you share how to kind of balance that? Well, you're young, you kind of need to, you know, make some inroads with people, but not get taken advantage of, because that's something that I know a lot of people really struggle with. Yeah, I think it's before going into a, a situation, before even having the phone call with a potential employer, you know, know what you will say yes and no to and know what your goals are. I think there's times when you got to get out on the road for free and you just got to go prove yourself. We've all done that too. I think there's a season offering your services, <laughs> for lack of better words, to get your foot in the door. Because that's what so much of the industry and the business is, is just rubbing shoulders with people and being like, man, that person has an amazing work ethic, an incredible attitude, and they're going to stick around for a long time because it's like we're all little gangs out there, like try to keep your family healthy so that they stick together longer, you know, because there's synergy with a family, you know. And so it doesn't take long for, you know, in my case, if I'm hiring someone, it doesn't take long for us to see the signs of someone who's going to stick around if they want to, you know. A huge part of it is attitude and also especially on smaller grinded out type tours, you have your title, but that is a very loose, <laughs> a loose job title because it is an all for one mentality. And I think the people that really grow and climb up the proverbial ladder are people that are willing to let that title flex and bend. And I don't think that crosses the line of compromising your position. That's saying I'm a team player and at this stage, we're all getting our hands dirty and it's all tough. And the more we can kind of link arms, the stronger we are. And then eventually, hopefully, dream scenario is where everyone can do exactly what that title says. And that's it. <laughs> no, I think team player is a very good way of putting that. Would love to kind of know a little bit more about how did you transition out of just being your dad's band to, you know, really spreading your own wings and having your own band start to become an established thing? Well, we started writing more songs and me and my brother, that was always a goal of ours. It got to a point with my dad where it was like, you know, this is awesome. We would love to keep doing this. And we still, occasionally we still will if the opportunity allows itself. But that passion grows inside of you until it's kind of you know, can't contain it anymore. And it's like, hey, we need to go give this a shot. And there's a little bit of a, it's a, an intense word, but it doesn't speak to my relationship with my dad. But maybe as a professional word, like a divorce that has to happen of like, all right, for us to really chase this, we have to like sever the, not the tie, but kind of cut the line and say, dad, it would be nice to keep touring with you because it helps us pay our bills. <laughs> But if we're going to really do this, we have to go all in. And, you know, it's like any other startup business. It's like this is going to take, you know, whatever the stats show, three to six years to even maybe hopefully start making money, you know. And there's no hourly. This isn't a nine to five. This is pouring everything. If it's going to be driving 12 hours after every show, that's what it takes. All right, I'm in, you know. And so it was just a really, I think a, the short answer would be a concrete decision. Like, we're going to go for this and we're going to start from ground zero. We had, in the early days, we had a lot of ties with my dad's team. Management, booking, even his label at the time was kind of pursuing us. And 
they're all like family to us. We've known them since we were born. Some of those guys changed our diapers probably, you know? <laughs> it's easy to just think, well, we'll just kind of take that route. And as we discovered more and more of the voice of what we wanted to say, as me and my brother, we even kind of scratched all that with respect and humility, said, we're trying to do something different. We're going to start over and build kind of our own team I think that was a really important time, a really tough time, because starting over is hard. When you kind of zero yourself out, it's scary, but so often necessary to really build something fresh and new and with the vision that you have, you know? Yeah. So what were kind of some of the first steps you took? Play shows. That was our band's mentality was like, let's play as many shows as we can. And it's kind of like, I don't know the word, shooting fish in a barrel, maybe. I, I don't know, like, but you just kind of like, maybe we'll hit one <laughs> eventually. <laughs> and we would call all our local venues and book shows to the point where some of those venues wouldn't let us play. I have emails I could literally pull up where they're like, you can't play here again. You're not selling enough alcohol. You know, we were kids. You know, our fans, they're like, if you want to play here, it's going to be five grand. We're like, five grand? We can't, we don't, you know, like... Those kind of things where you're just like, man, it's hard out here for some young guns trying to, you know, play a show. And we would pack these places out with a bunch of, you know, 16, 18 year olds because those are our friends, you know. <laughs> so we did that. And eventually a booking agent saw us and he was a young gun. And he said, y'all want to play shows? We'll book you a bunch of shows. So that's what he did. He booked us hundreds of shows in clubs. And he was like, you'll get paid like 200 bucks maybe a night. And I was like, that's better than I thought. 200 bucks. <laughs> We've been told we won't make any money. We've been told we have to pay to play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we started doing that. And eventually we toured with a band. Literally, I remember I was on vacation and a band called about us opening for them, a band called Ivan and Alyosha from Seattle. And I was like, when do they leave on tour? tomorrow. And I was like, <laughs> I'm at the beach. <laughs> and I was like, we'll probably have to miss the first couple of shows. We'll meet them in Kansas City or something. So, and we met them. Then their manager became our manager. And then we played a show opening for a band in New York. And a guy from a label was there to see the headliner, but he liked us. So he signed us. And like I'm saying, like, we didn't plan any of those things. It started with one thing. Let's call and start playing shows and invite people out. And someone saw us. And then he helped us play more shows. Someone saw us. And that's how we've built it. This day and age, you can put up a song on TikTok, and it might blow you up before you even play a show, which is cool. If that works out, you don't know how good you've got it. <laughs> Starting at the top there. Yeah. <laughs> For us, it was about, and even still, it's about the personal connect of seeing the people who somehow this song connected with them and seeing that and engaging with that conversation. We have to remind ourselves because it's hard touring, it's hard life, but it's worth it when you see all that hard work comes to life because you see the response in people's eyes right there in front of you. I guess for us, it was just about doing it as much as possible. We still feel like that. Maybe the more we write, maybe the more songs we put out, there's just more of a chance for someone new to hear it and get excited about this. And it continues to push us to create. 
Well, it almost sounds like it's just a little bit of a numbers game, what you're describing. Kind of going back to the shooting fish in a barrel analogy, you kind of just want to do a bunch of stuff and hopefully someone's somewhere or you can't necessarily manufacture all of that. Yeah. Shooting fish in a barrel is usually used as like, it was as easy as shooting fish in a barrel. Don't take that from this because it is not easy. (laughs) whatever the expression is right. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean i use the analogy but it's like maybe we're the fish in the barrel and someone out there is going Ba-doom! but my dad you know he said something early on when we were talking about joining the industry the family business he was like and this wasn't like a foreboding kind of conversation it was just casual it's like there are so many people that want to do this want to write music perform or whatever, or want to get into the business, there's so many people that if you have another option going on in the back of your head, like, eh, maybe I'll try this for a little bit, but if it doesn't work out, you might as well just not try because there's someone right behind you that's like, all I want is this. And if I hit a wall, I'm going to figure out how to either bulldoze through it, climb over it, or get around it. Because that's what our industry is. It's hitting walls and hitting barriers. And it's like, who can bust through the most. And, you know, cool stories happen where there's these overnight successes, but there's always more to that. There's always more to that. And there's always more to the word success. What makes you successful? I think that goes back to that idea of like, what are your goals for yourself? Is it to be the sound engineer on the biggest tour in the world? If that's your goal, then pin it at the top of your wall and chase it and bust through every wall that's going to present itself to you until you get there. But is it paying your bills? You know, is it just doing this at whatever capacity? Sometimes I see people playing songs in the airport, you know, and I'm like, their goal is to play music. That's it. It's not about where. And I'm sure they have goals about playing on the Opry or in the Ryman someday. Of course, they have dreams. But They'll do whatever it takes to get there, even if it's playing Tootsies in Nashville, you know, and I'm like, that is so courageous and admirable. And I'm like, that's not me. I would not be playing on that stage. (laughs) You know, like everyone has a different vision for what they want and how they want to get there. And you got to be willing to flex. I don't know. I feel like I'm trying to teach a lesson that I'm still learning. I think... No one has everything fully figured out, but having that insight is super, super great. Would you mind sharing kind of what success is for you? Yeah, I would not mind, although I'm still trying to figure that out. (laughs) It's okay. Your definition of success can evolve over time. Totally. Yeah, I think it's about kind of to the point, the goals, you know, like the goals that we set for ourselves. A goal for me is to just continue to have the conversation with our audience, to continue to communicate things that we feel like are important to communicate, but to keep it conversational, to make sure we're listening to the people that are listening to our music and to hopefully make it feel like one big family when we're in a room with people. So I feel successful in that regard. At the same time, I feel like we've only scratched the surface on what our music and our band is capable of and the ears that we want to hear it. You know, we feel like It's like being on a, I say this in the film that I referenced earlier, but it's like being in the little leagues. You and all your friends are talking about how when you're in the major leagues, as like a five-year-old, you know, 10-year-old, man, one day we'll be in the big leagues, we'll be making millions. It's like you're certain that it'll happen. And there's like this naivety to like, you know, 
it's just that's the progression here. I play little league ball, then I'll go to college, and then I'll go to the pros. It's just how it works. It's like that's how it feels still for us. We're like we're this little league band who just knows we'll make it to the major leagues. And so every song is like maybe this is the next step for the band. Every show, maybe this is the next step for the band. And the truth is it is. Every song and every show and every you know, relationship is, of course, the next step in your career. How you measure your success is up to you. I'm able to do this as my full-time job, which is pretty dang cool and feels pretty successful. But I'm still very hungry to do better, to get better. Absolutely. When you were starting out, what was something or some resource or some, you know, person that you wish you had access to? when you were just kind of trying to get established? I had an unfair advantage of having a lot of access to a lot of people. I think maybe when I was first starting out, maybe a band like Colony House, the band that I am in right now, where it feels like you're in the in-between of like, it's still a grind, which I think maybe that's always the case, but the life feels very like, There's a variable in everything. It's like, maybe this is a good idea. Maybe it's not. You know, maybe we should say yes to this opportunity, even though it doesn't really pay the bills, but it could be good exposure. Or, you know, just there's a lot of weighing that is still happening with every decision we make. And that was maybe a person I didn't have access to. And being in a band, you know, someone in a band. My dad was a solo artist. And I got so much from that, but there's definitely a different dynamic when you're one of four, you know, and how to operate, how to be a good friend and a good bandmate, how to be a good business partner as well as, again, a good friend. And we did have friends and bands, of course, but long-winded answer to maybe say like, just some homies in a band still trying to make it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what are some of the things about being in a band band that you've kind of learned some of the lessons you've learned over the years? Don't talk about a show right after the show. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that? Because emotions are always high. Tempers are hottest right when you get off stage. For us, at least, it's very like therapeutic. Being on stage is like, it is a purging of emotions. Sometimes you're at a super high point when you're leaving that stage. Sometimes you can be at a super low point. So what we learned pretty early on was let's not talk about, especially the negative things is really what that comes down to. Let's not critique ourselves. It's the hour long rule. For an hour after the show, we don't critique the show. So we wait. If it was a bad show, I'll go stew somewhere by myself, calm down. Or if someone else had a bad show, let's just give them their hour. And then let's talk about it. Cause I don't, we don't want to just avoid it because then we don't get better, but cooler heads prevail. And if we can critique our show in a healthy way, that's going to be better for all of us. Anyways, we're going to stay friends a lot longer that way as well. So that was definitely trial and error because we got to a place where after every show, we immediately come off stage and start picking it apart. And we were like, man, this is miserable. You know, you know, and the looser you can hold that stuff, the more fun those shows become. So, yeah, I I think that was a big lesson for us as a band. The golden rule for us is like friends first, business second, 
if it starts feeling like our friendship's falling apart, then we'll just call it. Let's be friends before our band is successful. I'd like our friendship to be successful, especially when you got family in the band. Early on, so many times where me and my brother would be like, is this worth it? Because I'm starting to really not like you. <laughs> if that's going to be what it's like, let's just not do this. You go do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we can be brothers. We've made it that way even with my mom and dad. Is like, we want you all as our mom and dad, not as counsel, not as business partners. We want you as like our parents counseling us <laughs> about life, you know? I think that has been a huge win. You can't be greedy in a band. That is the end of a band, is when you start feeling like you're entitled to more. You work harder than the other guys. You do more. When that starts entering the picture, it's dangerous. Because there's always going to be people in any business that pull more weight or like are maybe working more hours. But when you decide to be in a band or to be a part of a team... You do what you're strong at, and you challenge each other to get better. If you need help, you ask for help, but you don't feel entitled. That's dangerous to me. Yeah, no, I think that's really great. What is the best advice you have gotten throughout your journey? I asked someone that question once, and I'll give more of like an existential answer and more of a lo- just kind of logistical like answer. <laughs> Great. Let's hear them both. One friend of mine, I asked that question to, and he quoted a friend of his that he asked that question to. He asked a counselor who actually I know who did like my marriage counseling. So it's kind of a crazy full circle thing. But I asked him like, what have you learned from meeting with people over all these years, especially this counselor specifically worked a lot with artists, singer, songwriters. And this counselor says, the human heart, a huge thing I've gathered, is the human heart is not made for praise. And what I gathered from that as we kind of unpacked it together is when we're celebrated, it feels good. But as an artist, as a performer, when you're used to applause after everything you do, that means you're used to like a beginning and an end. And what's so hard in life about that is you're on tour and you go do your job, you play a show, you start it, you walk out, people clap, play your songs, at the end, people clap. There's a beginning and an end, and then there's satisfaction from that. You come home, you open the door, there's no applause. You go do the dishes, no applause. Put your kids to bed, no applause. And then you wake up and it's just life. And I think for people that are used to praise for everything they do, it gets toxic. If you can't balance that out, that's why you see so much depression and destruction in people's lives, especially that are in the spotlight. It's like, because of course they are, because they're they're so used to, they can't control the real world, as a lot of people put it. And so I think that's a really powerful thing to remember is like the expectations that we set on ourselves. is like, embrace it, accept it. It's beautiful and be grateful for it. But know that that is not how it works. (laughs) And that's been a really helpful piece of advice. It kind of ties into advice that I got once from John Foreman, who's man full of advice in everything he does. I think he's offering advice without even trying. (laughs) And something I asked him once about just being a father and a husband on the road. And he was like, something I learned 
it took me too long to learn, but something I learned was just don't set any expectations for yourself, especially going back home. Like expectations are the ruiner of so many great things because you come back home and you're like, oh, it's going to, I'm going to walk in the door and everyone's going to be so happy that I'm back and it's going to be a big party. And then you get back and it's like, hey, yeah, Hope Tour has been going good. Yeah, let's, uh, you know, it's like, wow, it felt a little more flat than I thought it was going to. (laughs) So I think that's good too, just zeroing out expectations. Logistically, I think that advice my dad gave me early on about, hey, you're going to hit walls, you're going to hit barriers. And the thing that separates people that stick around in this business and the people that move on to something else are the people that figure out how to hit a wall and get around it or go through it. Because there's always going to be a reason to leave, always going to be a reason to quit. And I think that is going to be the case for any job you get any industry you're in, there's always going to be a reason. Even your dream job, there's always going to be a reason to quit. And the people that excel are the ones that don't quit. (laughs) That's that's about as cliche as it gets. But (laughs) I say cliche is cliche because it's usually the most true. So how do you stay motivated? How do you keep your head in the game and not just give in to the temptation to quit? Well, fortunately, I have a wife that believes in me a lot more than I believe in myself. So that helps. <laughs> That's not the case for everyone. But for me, it is. Most of the times, if I get all Debbie Downer, she's the one that's going, stop it. You know you were made for this. You know you're supposed to do this. So it's nice to have someone to, to pull you out of those dark places. For someone that maybe doesn't feel like they have someone to pull them out of the dark place. For me, I think direction is important when people ask me about advice on you know, writing songs and kind of staying motivated. I was like, just know what you're aiming for. I use the analogy of like a painter who's painting a picture that he's going to hang on his wall versus a picture he's going to go put up at a gallery and try to sell. It's like, okay, so he might make a different decision with the picture that he's just painting for practice and for the exercise of it. He'll probably do something differently with that. That doesn't mean he's compromising for the one he's doing for the gallery. He just knows that there's going to be people coming through to buy it or people coming through to enjoy it. You'll make different decisions. That's not selling out, although some people do that, but it's just knowing your goal. And that's not to say you can't be exercising and practicing and ending up with something going, hey, maybe I should take that to the gallery. For me, staying motivated is going into a project or, or something and just feeling like, hey, I know at least at this point, my goal here is to take this to a gallery and hang it on a wall so people can co-enjoy it. It's something that's helped me out in the creative process and to stay motivated. So as we just kind of wrap up here, can you give us a little bit of a teaser on what's next for Colony House? Yeah, as much as I know, because it's changing day to day. We're finally, you know, I've mentioned the film at the very beginning of this. We are going to be streaming that in about three weeks or so. So that's a fun thing where we finally get to show everyone who wants to see that. So that's a big deal. And there's some exciting things that I have to keep a secret for a little bit longer. That will be happening pretty soon after that. But the future looks bright as far as there's a lot of songs being written. And it looks like this world might open back up 
to let us play shows again, <laughs> hopefully this year. I mean, we have tours booked. We've had tours booked for two years now that haven't happened, but we have things booked that as soon as it feels like green light, we'll push green light and we'll be back on the road with a fury, with a vengeance. Again, that's about as, as much as I can give you <laughs> knowing that it could all change. <laughs> anytime so totally totally well caleb thanks so much for coming on the show and kind of sharing your story and your advice and all of that it was real great talking with you well i don't know how much advice you'll be able to pick out of all that but <laughs> it's an honor to talk i wish i could talk more these days so i appreciate it thanks for the opportunity so that's it for my conversation today with Caleb from Colony House. A couple of quick things before we go. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and just give us five stars. It helps more people discover the show on the charts. Also, if you're working on new music, would love for you to sign up for a free workshop. Rock the release. Just go to evergreenrecords.com slash workshop to sign up for that. Also, if you use Logic Pro to write and demo and record your songs, would love to give you some free synth presets so that you can speed up that process a little bit. We're giving those away. Songwriter sounds is what we call them. You can just go to evergreenrecords.com slash songwriter sounds to get those. But for now, that's it. And we'll see you next time.